Tonight we share a wonderful story. Um, I titled this, this uh, study tonight, Standing with the Lord. Okay? So if you open your Bibles to John 8, 1, uh, 1 through 11. Now you'll understand why I was really kind of debating with God on this study, because it's a study about the adulterous woman. You can, you can get my, uh, my, uh, my debate, correct? So, uh, but I believe the Lord has an awesome, uh, an awesome message to share with us tonight. He certainly shared it with me, and it's blessed me tremendously just doing the uh, research and the study, putting the study together. I pray that it blesses you also. So, let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your blessed assurance. Thank you for just the amazing God, loving God that you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the amazing gift, Lord, that it is uh, your Son. And coming to, coming to earth to be born uh, as a child and then to lead his ministry, to save us, to save the world, Father. We are so thankful. Father, we pray for the night that you uh, just open our hearts, open our minds. Father, I pray that you, uh, uh, that anything that may be of you may be etched in the hearts and the minds tonight. And if it's not, if it's of me, I pray that it gets dumped in the trash where it belongs. But Lord, that your word goes forth and it may be etched in the hearts. We want to lift up Pastor Jeff and Brandon, Father, that you put a hand of protection upon them, give them traveling mercies, and uh, we can't wait to hear the testimonies of their work in San Salvador. Lord, we just give this time to you. We dedicate it. Please lead us lead us to do this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I tend to talk a lot, so I'm going to uh, do my very best. Age 15, is that what we got? So, I got, I got uh, my brother Rick over here. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so... Uh, chapter 8, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the, a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard him, being convicted by their conscience, went one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So, so we can see a little background on this on this message, if I may. Um, it's a powerful message, isn't it? Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles had just concluded. 
the Feast of Tabernacles obviously is a very important uh, festival in the in the uh, uh, in the Jewish tradition. It is the seventh of the of the feast. It had just concluded. It's an eight-day festival, and what it what it basically consists of it is a celebration of the time of the Israelites in the wilderness. They build the little huts and they put them up, and for eight days, uh, some of them actually camp out in them, but they go and they take their meals and they do that. It's the festival of Sukkot in, in Hebrew and their little sukkahs, which is the little huts. So it's a big camping fest, okay? But it's in remembrance of their time in the wilderness. So it's a very, very important, very, very important holiday. So, Jesus at this time is also, another point that's important to remember, is that Jesus is spending most of his time in Galilee. He's staying away from Judea as much as possible because he's being persecuted, because he's being seeked on. And every, everywhere he goes, there is some type of turmoil, some type of, of drama occurring because the, the Jews are, are trying to persecute him. Now, can they get him? Obviously, they can because it is not his time. However... He's trying to keep himself away as much as possible. The other thing we should know is that his half-brothers, his own brothers, okay, half-brothers in this case, brother from mom, um, don't believe in him, okay? They don't believe him. They openly mock him about what Jesus is, is claiming. So they're telling him, why don't you go up there? Why don't you go up to today and tell them how wonderful you are and tell them all these miracles and go do these miracles in public so that they can believe in you. Jesus knows that he's, he's being mocked. So he says, no, it's not my time. So he sends his brothers ahead of time and he goes, uh, he goes afterwards in secret. Okay, This all takes place kind of in chapter 7. This is just to kind of give you a little bit, bit of background. So the night before this, this particular passage, the Sanhedrin are meeting. The Sanhedrin, remember, they're the legal scholars, they're the, 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 the authorities. And they're meeting, and the subject of that meeting is what to do with this guy Jesus. He's just kind of messing things up for them. Okay? Now, these are the guys that got the whole regalia. You know, they got, this, they got the whole thing. They got the hats. They got, they got it all. Okay? It's a great position. They have, they, they have tremendous position in the Jewish community. And all of a sudden, Jesus is coming in and kind of challenging their authority in a way. He's like, oh, the heck this guy is. What are we going to do with him? So they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to find a way that they can accuse something, paint something on him. Okay? And watch this. The only one in the midst that will stand up for him was Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, if you go back to chapter, I think, number three, he's the one that came in the middle of the night in secret and asked Jesus, what do we have to, be do? What do we have to do to get saved, correct? So, he's already a believer, and he's the only one that actually stands up for the Lord in the midst of that. At great risk, mind you, because he's risking, obviously, position, correct? He's risking credibility, so he stood up with him. <clears throat> Why do I share with this with you? And this is where I believe the Lord really wants us to share this message. The similarity, there's tremendous similarity in where we're at today. This Christmas season, number one, many will speak against Jesus, correct? They've begun already. Any they do it all the time. Openly mock him, correct? Kind of the same thing. The question is, will we, will I have the courage to stand up for him? Okay? 
This is an important question. Why? Because, um, why is this important? Remember, when we stand, and this is why the, the title standing with the Lord, when we stand with the Lord, we're not doing it for His benefit. Does the Lord need for me to stand with Him? He's God. Does He need me? No, I need Him. Why is it important to stand with the Lord? Because it is important for my own maturity, for your own maturity. When we stand for Him, we're saying, I stand with Him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. Amen? And not only that, not only is it important for us, it's important for the very person that you're sharing that with. Because if we, if we say, you know, there is a saying that if we stand for nothing, we will fall for anything. So why is it important for that person in front of you? Because he knows that he may not agree with you. He may even profess offense. That's the, the common thing. Oh, that's offensive. It's uh, intolerant. But they still need us at the end of the day we need to stand with Him for our own and for themselves. Amen? The world wants, us to, want, the world wants to, break to break the Christmas spirit. Is that not true? We sit every, every day, there's a new testament and there's a new this and a new book and someone else and some authority. Really? The only authority that we need is... Amen? But they will tell the world, the world wants to break the Christmas spirit, what, to either convert you to their belief or to convince you to hide from it, from yours. Amen? It's very true. They want to convert the Christian faithful to believe and to go follow and to whatever nonsense they got going or to convince you that it is offensive and to convince you that some way it's intolerant standing up for the Lord, so you've got to go hide. Let me share with you, uh, last Sunday, um, our family, we, we have a tradition, and we go, we go and get the, the Christmas tree, and, 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 and after the Christmas tree, we go to Macaroni Grill, and we do dinner, and so forth and so on. And we've been doing that every year since the kids were babies. And that's our tradition. We went... We went, we did that, we went, and we sat down, and they brought us, they, you know, macaroni grill. Don't they bring the best bread? Huh? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, so they bring the bread, and obviously, and it's nice and hot, and oh, it's just awesome. So we say, okay, let's pray. So we get together, and, and, and we pray. And... Um, we have a new believer in our midst, uh, Nina's, Nina's uh, boyfriend, Blake, who I have known since he was a little little boy. Great kid. Just a loving kid. And he's just come recently to the knowledge of the Lord. And he's just, they're praying with us. We're holding hands. And it was just such an awesome picture. But the best part of the story is this. When we finish praying, this waiter from across the room comes over and he says, forgive me for interrupting. He says, I'm not even supposed to talk and see you, but it was so awesome to see you pray. Now, that's awesome. And it is. And it is, and it's glorious. But I thought to myself, how sad. And he said to me, he says, I so rarely see it. That's the sad part. That is where this us, we have to. We have to stand with the Lord for our own good and others. Because you never know who's watching you. You never know 
who is praying that this Christian thing is for real. I was. Since that time that I, my, when I was, you know, the baby Jesus thing, okay, until I came to 1998, okay, I, I wanted to know that this was real. And that's where we come in. That's where you come in. So let me get to the story because I'm on, I'm on the clock. <laughs> but Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Now, why did he go to the Mount of Olives? We know that the Mount of Olives was a glorious place. It was an awesome place. That's where Jesus got rest. That's where he gave us so much of his message. So much of his ministry came from the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse, so forth and so on. Amen? So it was a very special place. But get this. At the end of the, the, the eight-day festival, okay, everyone goes to their homes. Okay? They're no longer going to the little huts. They want to go home and have a proper meal and go to their beds. Come on. I love camping, but I don't want to be there for eight days. Right? You know, as much as I love it, after eight days, you want your own bed. Come on. But if you get this, no one invites Jesus. No one invited Jesus. So everybody goes to their homes, to their warm beds, to their nice table, their nice meal. No one invites Jesus. Can you believe that? No one had a seat at their table. Jesus retreats to his favorite place, the Mount of Olives. That's where he fellowshiped with his Father. Amen? Why is this important? Okay? A story has much similarity to where we are today. It is a holiday celebration. Is it not? It's Christmas season. It is not the holiday season. It's not whatever a season's greeting. It is the Christmas season. Can we all say Christmas season? It is His birthday. Amen? Hallelujah. The two most important holidays are His birth, Christmas time, and Easter when we celebrate His death and resurrection. Amen? Let not, let not the political correct crowd take it away from us. It is dear and special to us as the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is to the Jewish people. Jesus was being openly rejected. He was being openly mocked. Persecuted. Is Christ being persecuted today? Christians are being persecuted at a higher rate today than probably in any other point in history. Do you know that? And the, probably the saddest truth is there are less people. You say nobody invited Jesus to their home. There's less people inviting Jesus to their home today. Sure, we're coming to church. We go to church. But are we inviting Him to our homes? Are we making a special place and saying, Jesus, this is your home? Are we saying, as, G as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah? We serve the Lord. We stand for Him. We stand with Him. And there are many times, and my children will tell you, we have had this conversation. No, we don't do that. No, we don't go there. Because this home serves the Lord. It is unpopular, I know, but it is, it is what you need, we need, I need, my kids need, and the world needs. Amen? It is, it is the only way. That is the real truth. That is the truth that our pastor teaches us. Hallelujah. All the time. Can we imagine for a second what the families, what families would look like today if more of them inviting Jesus to their home every day? Not just when it's convenient. Not when it just feels good, but every single day. Can you imagine what our lives would look like? 
Tremendous. Can you think revival? Can you think revival would happen in this nation if revival happened in our homes? So from today, let's pray for revival in our families. Let's pray for revival in our homes. Let's pray for revival in our marriages, in our children. That's where it begins. Amen? So not just coming to church. Now, am I saying the church is not important? Oh, it's extremely important. Because that's where we grow. That's where we're fed. That's where we hear this awesome worship. That's where the Spirit... Can you feel the Spirit? That's where the Spirit just comes in and grasps us. But having Him in the center in our homes and stating, as Joshua said, our house serves the Lord. Now, now that's just verse number one. Can I see... <laughs> now... Two, now early in the morning he came again into the temple and the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Now we see Jesus what, what he, doing what he loves. He's in the temple teaching. Notice that it states, the text states, all the people came to him. Now what does that mean? All. It means all. Does it, does it mean just the, just the ones that had the beautiful dress and the big hats? I, I, Please, I'm not mocking that. It's, I'm just, what I'm saying is, it's not just the well-dressed. It's not just the pretty people. It's not just this. It's not just that. It's all the people. Because in John 3.16, he says, he came for all of us. Right? So, the Lord is still teaching. Do you know that? I found out, you know, the Lord is still teaching. He's teaching every moment of every day. He is looking for willing ears. Right? Are we coming to the Lord every day to hear from Him? So in other words, are we making a commitment to come to the Lord every single day to hear from Him? And if not, why not? Do you know that 30 years ago a, a, a survey was made where people, the survey was this, when people were asked how you are doing, what is the answer that they give? You know what the answer was 30 years ago? The answer was, okay. Hey, how you doing, Richard? I'm okay. 30 years ago. <clears throat> uh, last year, I believe, I had the privilege of attending a, a, a family conference uh, at Chino Hills Calvary Chapel with our pastor and Connie, and we were there. And this, this was shared with us that as of a year from then, people were asked the same question. You know what the answer was? It's not I'm okay anymore. It's I'm busy. Think about it only in life. How many times we say that? And the reality is we are extremely busy. But are we busy enough not to make time for the Lord? Are we busy enough? And please, I'm not throwing guilt trips on anybody. I'm saying this to myself. Are we busy enough not to spend time with the Lord? Are we busy enough not to spend time with our wife and our children? The reality is this. Today, we spend more time on TV, computers, cell phones, this phone, that thing, this thing. More electronics are consuming our lives that we spend very little time. Very precious time. Amen? So, how do we change that? Just... Spend more time with the Lord. Spend there. Make a commitment. May do this. Do this. Okay? But 
Now let's get to the meat of our story, because I'm going to run out of time. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very act. Now Jesus really is really interrupted, interrupted by the Pharisees. They're dragging this woman. Throw her in there. I mean, you can just imagine. Poor lady. Probably hair and messed up. The, the clothes, you know, they just... They wanted to make as big a spectacle as possible. This, was, this sin was surely was punishable by death, by stoning. And it was in Leviticus 20.10. It speaks of the punishment of, of adultery under the law. Now, the question is, wouldn't it involve the equally guilty should be, uh, the, the man should be equally guilty and stoned also? Fair question, isn't it? We'll get to that. The question here becomes, can we relate to this woman? Putting her sin aside, the sin of adultery, the reality is, is that we can all relate with this woman in sin because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? In Ephesians, Paul tells us we are dead in our, in, in our transgressions and sins. So, we can, without Christ, we can all relate, certainly, uh, to this woman. Now, in verse 5, it says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? The Pharisees in this case are intent, they're challenging Jesus, putting him, pitting him between him and the law. Okay? How many times do we hear that argument all the time? You know? They were right about the law. It was punishable by death. But again, they were being very selective in their application of the law. <clears throat> now here's a question. How many times have we been recipients of, of accusations? Every one of us at one time or another have been recipients of, a, of an accusation of some sort or another. You know? Or worse, how many times we've been the ones throwing the stones? We've also done that. Amen? Truth be told, no one, no one comes to the knowledge of the Lord through someone pointing their finger. Correct? In their sins. However, however right we may be, it just wouldn't work. It certainly won't work for me. I mean, I had many rash, very rational arguments of why I needed to come to the Lord. Well, this and this, well, you know, you're over here, you're doing this, you will. Okay. <laughs> It is only through sharing the love of Christ and the gospel message, what he did for us, that lives are changed. That's when my life was changed, amen? You probably can relate to a similar situation. It is the love of Christ that changes lives. The world is watching us, especially during this Christmas season. The world is watching us and they're waiting for us to trip up to use that as an excuse for their unbelief. Do you know that? It's been shared many times. Many times it said, you know, well, you know, the reason I don't come to you because I don't come to Christ or I don't come to church is because, because of church or because of Christ, because of this. They're waiting to see, are we going to be the super legalistic over here, the Pharisees, the pointing, oh, yeah, bah, 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 over here? I've been to other churches like that. 
You know, I grew up somewhat a church like that, the Catholic Church. And again, I'm not pointing out. I, that was my own personal experience. And I'm like, I don't feel any love here. <clears throat> or the super uh, liberal, if you will, well, anything goes, grace, 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 super hyperbolic grace, you know. And permissiveness, I, I, what, I, what I call that. I would say it is more important for us to be like Christ has said so that we're not steered wrongly. Not steer this way and not steer this way and just stay on that short and narrow path. That he leads. Now in verse number 6, he says, This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So Jesus ignores all the drama. Because these guys are way too much drama. They're interrupting my teaching here. And I'm just going to ignore them. Instead, I'm going to stoop down and I'm going to start scribbling. Now, what he wrote, the Bible doesn't speak of it. Clearly. Doesn't, doesn't speak of it, what he said. But much analysis, much study has been made on that. And the common speculation is that Jesus began to write the names of those present. Okay, here's this guy, here's this guy. And right next to it, started writing their sin, whatever that sin was. Very bold for everybody to see. Without saying a word, all he said was that. Another common, another common speculation is that he wrote out the question that he was about to ask them which was a common practice in Roman times, was to write out the question before you asked it. In either case, he was was facing this head on. Now, I want to ask you this question. You notice how he, he ignored the drama? He ignored the accusers? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that Jesus ignores the accuser, he is accusing me. Aren't we glad that he ignores the accuser and instead he says, hey, I died for him. I've already paid that at the cross. You know, because while we were still sinners, he what? He died for us. So in verse 7, it says, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw that first stone. So as accusers are continue to press Jesus on the issue, so he rises momentarily and just says, okay, show me, you super righteous, you throw the first stone. By the way, your name's right there. <laughs> no different. Catches their attention, doesn't he? So Jesus outlines a requirement to be a judge by being free of any sin in this context. He's, he's, okay? which could only be fulfilled by Him. Was He was the only perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Amen? This woman for sure was guilty of sin under the law, but there were clear requirements also under the law, which I will get to, which were not being fulfilled. Were the Pharisees being a little... Uh, what's the word? Tricky, scheming something here? Very evident. 
Now, a little note, under, under the Mosaic law or the Levitical law, the following conditions needed to be met. A, number one, two or more eyewitnesses needed to be present. One was insufficient to invoke capital punishment. In Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay? There's no evidence that the witnesses were there. The, the, Bible, the, the, word, the, the uh, passage doesn't expand it. But I'll, look at this. B, the law was actually also equally explicit about the man was to be executed also. Okay? It wasn't just the woman. is both needed to be executed. Both needed to be brought forward for judgment. So both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Leviticus 20.10. So it was very clear. So how did Jesus know such... He knew that they were... The law was inapplicable in this case. So in court, this situation was just, it, 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 it didn't stand. So he was, he was going to be thrown out of court. How did he know that? How did he know that so explicitly that this was the case? Perhaps because he wrote it? The Bible says he is the word, right? So here are the Pharisees trying to trip up the very guy that wrote it. A little bit of a challenge. Jesus wasn't changing the law. He was fulfilling it and in the process giving us a beautiful preview of mercy and grace which he would bring at the cross. This was a preview. This was a preview of what was to come and, and saying, hey, this is why I came. Thank you, Jesus. In Matthew 5.17, it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Imagine for a moment, the Lord... Now, let's get back to the sin, pointing sin. Imagine for a moment, the Lord flashing my sin, your sin, any time we were tempted to point fingers at someone else. Can you imagine he just put a little sin? Right? Would that get our attention? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instead, he would put a little footnote. P.S. Tell them that I love him. Tell them that I love them. Love her. Tell them that I died for them. Right? Now, does this mean that Jesus was just throwing the law out? Oh, he just thought we don't need this anymore. No, absolutely not. Quite the contrary, he would point out the accuser's hypocrisy before the law. They were being selective in their application. Instead, he was going to use it to fulfill it. This very example, he was in, I am fulfilling the law. Well then, does this mean that we are not to judge any circumstance? This is a question for ourselves. Does that mean that we're not to judge under any circumstance? Again, quite the opposite. The current culture of being non-judgmental or worse, politically correct, is just false doctrine, however feel good it may be. Because it's not supported in the doctrine, in the scripture. It just isn't. Much, much scripture supports otherwise. The key, if remember this, is context and motive of the heart. In other words, when we are calling somebody or whatever the situation may be, okay, 
Are we doing it for the purpose of strengthening that brother and sister or are we doing it for the purpose of bringing it down and make, exalting ourselves? Because it's always about motive. It's always about heart. And I'll tell you why. Jesus did not call us not to judge, but to judge according to righteousness and not mere appearance. That's John 7.24. Now also in Romans 16.17, Now I urge you, brethren, not those who will cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you learned and avoid them. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Paul tells us, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So he calls us quite the opposite. So why would that happen? If Jesus was telling us not to be judges, then this wouldn't apply, correct? Too much of the quote-unquote liberal theology that has become popular, so popular today in so many churches is saying that we are not... They're, they're basically throwing a lot of this out and saying everything is hyperbolic grace. Not true. Because if you leave, if we leave, if, if, if we are left in our own, to our own devices, guess what happens? Not a whole lot of good, right? So that righteous correction by a loving brother, a loving sister, you know, as appropriate, with the right motive, in the right context, there is a place for it and the Bible tells us that. Correct? So move... Um, Moving on, in 1 Corinthians, it tells us, for what have I to do with judging those who, are, who are also are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So here's Paul. The Apostle Paul is addressing the church of Corinth, someone within the church, that the church needed to correct it. Not worry so much about the outside, worry about what's in the inside. God, trust that God is taking care of the outside. And we are called to be what? Be the disciples that are bringing the good news, the gospel, the love of Christ to those out there. In verse 8 9 it says, And again he stooped down and rode on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So Jesus goes back to ignoring the Pharisees and continues to write. One by one they leave. Notice that the old, it was the oldest to the youngest, so it was the wisest to the, the younger ones. Just couldn't get it. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I can relate. I, mean, I just don't get this Jesus thing, man. <laughs> the, oldest, the oldest realized, oh my goodness, we... The table has been turned on us. And they, they left. One by one they departed by the conviction of their own conscience. But the woman remained there with Jesus. Notice the Pharisees, very important picture here. The Pharisees were convicted by their con- the conscience of their sin, the conscience of their heart, and they left. The woman was convicted by the conscience of her repentance and she stayed. Amen? That's a very important question for us. What is convicting us? Is it, what, what convicts us? Does, it, does our sin convict us to depart from the Lord? Or does our repentance convict us to move toward Him? Amen? 
It's a powerful, powerful question. I see so many folks at times convicted by whatever issue may be going on in their lives and saying, oh, I'm just, no, no, I'm just, I'm going to stay away. And slowly they depart and they depart. They don't go to church. This, they go, they depart, they depart, they depart. They don't return your phone calls, da, da, da. And then before you know it, they're getting split up. You don't, you don't see a picture of Jesus in their life anymore. Amen? What does, that, what does that have to do with the Christmas season? That is what the world is looking for. That is what the world wants to see in us. They want to see the one. Are we convicted by our repentance and standing with the Lord? Are we convicted by our guilt and listening to the accuser and departing from him? Amen? Oh boy. <laughs> so here's a picture. The Pharisees intended, religion intended as a day of death for this woman. Jesus turned around and devoted as a day of deliverance. Can we relate? What the world intended for every one of us as a day of death for us, Jesus, when we came to the Lord, he gave us a day of deliverance. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In other words, that morning she was being dragged. In her mind, she's thinking, today's my worst day. Today is my day. By the time it was done, it was become her best day. And what was the secret? Jesus. It went from being her worst to her best. Can we relate? I know I can. In verse 10, it says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Now, Jesus is asking a powerful question. Obviously, he already knows the answer. He knew the answer to this question. The Mosaic requirements had not been met. He knew that. He knew that. He wrote it. He is the law. So he knew that they had no grounds to accuse this woman, has she sinned? Yes. He wasn't saying she hasn't sinned. What she's saying is she is not going to die. She is not because, because you are using the law to your gain. Instead, I'm going to show how it gets fulfilled through me. Also with this question, he would highlight the difference between those representing the law and him the King of Heaven. In John 5.24 it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, do we believe that? Do we believe it enough to live it? is the question for every one of us. Do we believe it enough to live it this Christmas season when they see you, they said, hey, that is a faithful Christian. That is somebody that loves the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's it. In verse 11, she she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
So did he say that he, the sin was... The, was he, he was not, not acknowledging the sin because he's saying go and sin no more. So he's acknowledging that she sinned. Amen? He's just saying, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. You have been set free. Every one of us are in Christ at one time or another. Guess what? Jesus said the same thing to us. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Her reply, no one, Lord, is pretty definite. No one. That's 100%. What a beautiful picture of grace. Amen? So, in summary, too many people today, I know I did at one time, believe they are lost because of the, the sin that they have committed or the numbers of sin they have committed. Is that not true? where the opposite is actually true. They commit those sins because they are lost and don't know Christ. It's the other way around. The reason why we we stay in sin or we are out there in sin is because we don't know Christ, not the other way around. Because He is the the Savior born to die for the sins, all the sins of the entire world. Anyone who comes to Christ is forgiven. That's, amen? It's not the select few. It's everyone. He calls on us to go and sin no more. What does that mean? That means that salvation is the beginning of our, of our walk with the Lord. It is not the end. It is the beginning. It is. Remember, we've, we've always heard pastors say, baby Christians... We are just been born again. It is the beginning. That is where salvation. We don't stop being sinners, but we should be actively pursuing a life in Him and not the world. Amen? He deserves our best because He gave us His all. We grow and mature by our committed and active relationship with Him. That's how we grow and we mature. The more we commit to Him, the more we grow. Isn't that enough? Just kind of a simple program, isn't it? The more we commit to Him, the closer we get to Him, the closer He gets to us. Isn't that awesome? What a simple, simple picture. We are called to be living examples. Living examples of His grace. Living representative of who He is. You know? We all heard the fruit of the Spirit, correct? We've all heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Can we manufacture that fruit ourselves? No. Why? Because it's the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit. So the more we're in the Spirit, the more fruit we have. Whose Spirit? His Spirit. That is, where, that it, that is how it all happens. I want to give you five keys that have helped me strengthen in my walk with the Lord. Number one, coming to the Lord every morning. You know why? Because He's still teaching. He is still teaching. So coming to the Lord every morning. Two, remembering the cross, which is the fulfillment of the gospel. Remembering the cross. Christ didn't come just to make us feel good. Amen? Now, does He make us feel good? Hallelujah. Yes. He came to die. On the cross, 
a horrific death so that every one of us may have life. Three, pray diligently, pray diligently and study His Word. Why? Because that's how we communicate. That's His email message. Texting. Hey, Lord. Always there. (laughs) He always answers. It's not like, you know, He doesn't give you an LOL. (laughs) He doesn't. He says, I'm here. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Without ceasing. That means in constant prayer. Four, look for opportunities to share the gospel with others. The fact is that there's people out there praying today that they come face to face with you. They don't know you. They don't know who you are. But they're praying that they come with you face to face with you that tells them that Christ is real and that you show them that He's real by your life. By my life. There's plenty of opportunities out there. Seek them. And when God puts it on your heart, answer it. You'll be amazed. The blessing is really whose? Yours. God wants to bless you by you blessing someone else. And five, devote your time, your talent. Everybody here has talents, has gifts. Your treasure whether it's little or it's a lot, devoted to advancing His kingdom. The reality is this Christmas season is this. You know, in Ephesians 4, 17-24, Paul tells us to be children of light. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but if you haven't read it, go read it. It's a wonderful passage. It tells us to be children of light. Who's light? This Christmas season it tells remember remember this, remember to be like Nicodemus. Who had the courage to stand for the Lord under pressure. Especially when it's something it's easy to, you know, come on. It doesn't take a lot to stand up for the Lord when we're in church, correct? But you're gonna find yourself amongst family. You're going to mind yourself at work, amongst friends. Okay? What an awesome opportunity! That's an opportunity to tell them, hey, guess what? Jesus loves you. Well, I don't believe in Him. That's fine. He still loves you. He loves you anyways. (laughs) What an awesome opportunity. Amen? Don't hide from it. Go right to it. You know why? Because you are children of light. We are children of light, Paul tells us. And we have Him on our side. Always. Amen? He never leaves us or forsakes us. Two, like the adulterous woman who was redeemed from sure death, she did not leave the Lord. Now she could have. She just, whoop, bolted. She says, whoo, I'm out of here. She didn't. She remained standing and says, Lord, we the Bible doesn't tell us if she knew who he was. The Bible doesn't tell us who she was or what happened with her. But it does tell us that she stood there. She didn't leave. She remained standing, convicted by her repentance. But above all, 
Let's be like Christ in sharing the beautiful picture of His grace and the gospel which was to come. Telling people about the Lord, about His love, about what He did, and why your life, why my life is changed is what the world needs to hear. I promise you, as cynical and as negative and as destructive as so much of the world message, I promise you this. There is an enormous amount of people that are praying that God is real. Aren't they? I was. Even in my unbelief, many times I said, Man, Lord, I really pray that this... this is this it? <laughs> you know? Hallelujah, that my prayers were answered. There's people in our midst that are praying that they want to know that there's more than this world. Because the world is falling apart. And even even the most optimistic person out there will tell you that the world is falling apart. And you ask him this question, can you imagine that this is as good as it gets for you? (laughs) Can you imagine that this is it? It'd be like, wow, let me talk to you about the Lord Jesus. Let me talk to you about eternity, living a life in eternity with him and what he planned, his plan, not this world's. That is what we are called. We are called to be the children of light, to share the light of Jesus this Christmas season, to stand with Him, to be in repentance, and above all things, share His love with others. So, where you're at today, if you're in time, if you need prayer, if you'd like, hey man, I really want to sit down, I want to you know, talk about the Lord, I want to pray, you know, we're up front, we want to pray with you. Wherever you may be, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this awesome message. Thank you for your love, Lord. And as we leave tonight, Father, let us, let us go celebrating your light. Let us be children of light that you call us to be this Christmas season. Let us be bold in our faith. Let us be just abundant in our love for others. Even those that may persecute us, even those those that may mock us because they hate the light, we want to love them anyways. We want to tell them about you. Father, be with us. Be with our, our families. Be with our pastor and Brandon, Lord. and Give them traveling mercies as they journey home. And just be with us this time as we begin this Christmas season, Father. Let us just be just a season of joy, a season of just tremendous redemption in that revival that we are seeking in our own life, that it spread into our homes and our families, communities, and yes, Lord, even our nation. It is our prayer, Father, and we know that all things come through can come through to you, Father. And we ask all these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.